All right. Hello, everybody. I am back with a dear friend of mine, Mr. Nick. How are we doing? Hey, oh, it's so great to see you, Bruce. It's been too long. It seems like it's always too long. It's been too long, man. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad we're here and I'm glad we're doing this. It's an honor. I'm so thankful that you, you know, approached me to uh, come on to your podcast. And I'm, I'm just very happy to be here. Yeah, I want to say thank you, but I think grazie is more appropriate given our last encounter or... That's right. We were in Italy. That's right. <laughs> Let's start with that. I mean, that was just sort of crazy. So for people who aren't watching the video, Nick, his last name is Di Mari, quite Italian. And Nick, it's your family. They're from Italy. And then you're first generation, yeah? That's, well, actually second generation. Second generation. Okay. Mm -hmm. My grandparents were born in Italy on my father's side. That's and, right. And right. uh, my parents are, uh, were born here and I was born here. I'm working on the Italian citizenship, actually, as we speak. Um, but I do go to Italy two to three times a year. Right. I've got a lot of uh, friends and family there. I love to spend a lot of my time there. Um, I go to Rome a lot. I go to Venice, where I have a godson. One of my best friends lives there. I spend a lot of time in Naples. I have a lot of friends there. Uh, mm. My best friend who's visiting me now actually is from Salento, which is the Salento. region in Puglia, the very far south. If you think of Italy as a boot, it's the heel of the boot. Hmm. And his region is very far south. So I love to go there. It's it's a beautiful place. It's really a, a hidden gem. Yeah. And he's here visiting me right now. So um, it's special have him, having him here. And, you know, we, we like to hang out. I show him America a little bit and yeah, yeah. some fun things. We go to Philly, New York, you know, so. A little bit of cultural exchange. I mean, you'll have to come to yeah. D.C. as soon as you guys can. I don't know how he's how long he's in town for, but. Actually, yeah, that, that would be a fantastic idea. He hasn't been to D.C. yet. I haven't been oh, to D.C. in a while, so oh. it would be really great. Yeah, we should we should definitely do that. Yeah, let's just look up after the call. We'll, we'll touch base on details. And I remember you telling me about some of the experiences you would have in Italy and going back and forth. Um, similar to myself, my parents, well, I'm first generation, but even then you have those roots, right? So with yourself, how do you feel that even being second generation, the, the history that you have behind you, the context of an Italian family plays into a part of who you are living in America and how you kind of blend those two identities together? Yeah, great question. I, I believe I feel very strongly connected to my culture and heritage on both sides. Uh, I'm half Polish and I'm half Italian. I am certainly more in touch with my Italian side. Uh, the linkages are stronger. Uh, with, I suppose, that side of my family. And so I took it upon myself at an early age to learn to speak Italian. The interesting thing is my parents, actually, neither of them speak Italian. Oh. Uh, I'm the oh, only I... one. And, and my brother has started, he's uh, learning, and he's still, he can speak Italian fairly well. Hmm. So we, we, we both feel the same way about that subject. I mean, we think that it's very important to, to better understand who we are what our place is in our lives in the world. I think mm. the first thing you can do is look to your past and where your ancestors come from and see sort of the struggles and the challenges. And so I was very blessed uh, on a previous trip to Italy. I was able to go to a town where my paternal grandmother was born and where her family is from, which mm. is very close to Naples. It's in the commune of Naples, which if you think of it as a commune, it's like the county which includes mm. the city of Naples. And so the town itself was called Casandrino. And I was able to go to Casandrino. I was able to go to what would you would consider to be the equivalent of a vital statistics sort of department in mm -hmm. Italy. And 
look back to see the records of all of my ancestors, actually, uh, birth certificates, 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 going back to the uh, 1700s. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. It was amazing. And it's incredible that they still have in these large ledgers. They're like bigger than you can see. I mean, this is small, but it's like... It's to like over a foot about, uh, at least well, over, yeah, over well over a foot, probably like two wow. feet long. Oh, wow. Uh, like leather bound, uh, almost like, you know, scrolls that have all this data. Yeah. And it's amazing to see that. So I was able to, to access that. And I'd like to go. I haven't been yet to Sicily where my paternal mm. grandfather, he, where he was born and where his family is from. So that'll mm. be my, maybe not my next trip, but certainly a near trip in the near future. I'll go there. Right. And I'd like to do the same thing if possible. So, you know, that's one part of of that. The other Mm -hmm. is that, I mean, with having had internships in Italy, having lived when I was a child, actually, even before that in Italy for summers, having had opportunities to work in Italy for a few years, I just found it's like living in two different worlds. You have your, you know, your life sort of in, in the U.S. And then there's another life that's, you know, the Italian life. And with that, it's more about the cultural differences and ways of expression. I mean, mm-hmm. language typically, and you know, we like to make hand gestures all, all the time. Man. You know, people know about, about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I, I have a funny one about that, but yeah. So you're saying to do like the hand gestures and the different ways to communicate? There are, and it's a different way of communicating. Italians, as opposed to most Americans, not all, right. but probably most, are a lot more emotive. A lot more. There's something in uh, Naples. It's called the shenajata. That is exactly Shenajata. And what it is, it's basically this. Usually you'll see in <laughs> in Naples, some point or another, a family or two families going at it in the street, yelling, arguing, creating a huge <laughs> scene. It's just um, and there's a camera down the corner, it. there's a studio, a producer on the side. <laughs> That's real. the thing. This is real life. You're not seeing anything. Oh there's my an, god. Not, it's this is just real life. And I'm sure it inspires a lot of other things. But um mm-hmm. You know, it's it's quite incredible. So that factors in. And again, depending on where you are in Italy as well, you know, I've spent a lot of my time in southern Italy, mm-hmm. apart from when I'm in Venice. So there's also differences in, in culture from north to south, just the same way, I guess you would say you can pick up on differences here in the States. Southerners right. have a different way of life. It's more slow, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. relaxed. And there's an appreciation you can have for that. And then you know, when you're in New York, it's, you know, Oof. boom, boom, boom. And so, Forget about it. Forget about yeah. It. And then, and then DC is like the same, just no one smiles. Like it was, it was funny actually, because the other day I went to Starbucks and I was picking up an order. I'm being very friendly barista and she goes, ah, huh, you know, where are you from? I go, huh, where would you guess? Right. She goes, well, you're not from around here. I was like, what do you mean? Like America? She goes, no, no, you're American. But I think you may be Californian or something. I said, really? What makes you say that? I was like, well, you walked in here and smiled. And in D.C., we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's fine. But even just to make it uh, analogous, let's say, in Italy, dude, I mean, out of the countries I've been fortunate enough to visit, just the receptiveness you get in Italy is incredible. In the South, we were talking about Napoli, uh, like, uh, what is that? What is that place? Sorrento, Amalfi, Positano. Dude, everyone welcomes you in so much. And it's, it's like you get it, like you say, you're in a different world, different planet. Absolutely. Right, right out the gun. Yeah. And I like what you mentioned before about learning not just the history, but seeing how your friend goes back to the 1700s. Because it seems for now, a lot of 
people that I've spoken with who are, let's say, first gen or second gen, they have really no inclination or desire to learn about any of their heritage or history. Because for a lot of them, it's like this. If they weren't alive when it happened, it never happened. Which, um, it, no, of course it happened. It helps uh, give you a better perspective of where you are now and what your grandparents went through. And like now, Nick Marie chilling, hanging out in America, across the entire Atlantic. His family is 1700s. Who knows what they were doing, right? And I think that contrast is so powerful to see that and compare with it. Maybe we have more now, but are we better off? Are we happier? So not to get it too philosophical and deep, but when you go back home, do you feel that like joie de vie, per se, or anything that sort of reconnects you with maybe heritage, or it's just you're there as an American second gen? How does that play out for you? I think for me, unlike a lot of my, say, peers, who I know will do study abroad in a country, Oof. including countries that they have ancestry you know, ancestral connections too. Yeah. I think they're there more to enjoy the modern day pleasures of experience. Mm. I think most of the time the conversations about let's find the place to go out to get drunk or let's find as much alcohol as we can to go to back to the room and just enjoy that. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself on a vacation and doing all of that. But what I think you should also take the time to do, especially if you're studying abroad in a country that you have cultural ties to, put a little bit maybe more effort into learning something about the language, right? Mm. At least be able to show their locals wherever you're staying that you ha- that you care. I mean, it just shows a sense of connection and it shows you're trying and it's appreciated. And it it not that you do it to get something out of it, but it also typically results in a positive exchange of some kind. I mean, I can tell you examples where just the fact that I speak Italian the way that I do, and I'm, again, very fortunate that I've mastered it to a much greater degree, but it's absolutely appreciated. And I can tell you that it's it's helped. I mean, I've gotten even discounts uh, at, at different stores. Or I, I, Is that the language? Because you kind of charm your way in there. Because this guy, man, this guy. (laughs) What's crazy is when you mix the two, it's, oh, it's it's trouble, man. It's trouble. (laughs) I'll just, I'll I'll say this. I'll let you be the, the, I'll let you decide. I like to think it's the language, but. Oh, man. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I was speaking with someone before about this. Just before we continue is different languages kind of create different emotions when you're speaking. So even when I was speaking Portuguese, it's like I become a different person. However, in the Arabic language, right, I was able to live in Morocco and speak Arabic. When they speak, some of the sounds, there's such an emphasis on speaking that you actually really need to kind of be more forceful because the sounds require more air from your lungs. Mm-hmm. So that actually does affect your interaction, right? So in Arabic, for example, they have um, a sound where it's like ha, right? And then ra and the ka, a lot of the emphasis on the throat and all of the glottal sounds, I think is what it's called. So Maybe, I mean, it, Italian, it just flows off the, the tongue, right? Every word, it's, I mean, an opera, an opera is singing in what language? All the it's languages, true. but it sounds the best in Italian, Italiano. It's true. I mean, opera was born in Italy. It was. And they often say Italian is the language of music Oof. in that, you know, when you hear, the, because of the vowels, I mean, they're, mm. you know, most words end in a vowel. So it's very easy to allow one to flow into the next. There's a lot of rhymes that you can create 
in in that language. I mean, Spanish is similar as well, even Portuguese, like, you, you know, you speak. So you find that. But I think that with Italian, it's also very interesting because the only place in the world where Italian is spoken is Italy. That could be said for some other languages too, but it has a very uniqueness about it. And it's very close to Latin, which can actually make it quite difficult, I have to admit, in terms of uh, learning, because Latin is very complicated. It's the, the mother of most of the Romance languages, or all of them, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so Italian is, isn't even the closest one. I think Romanian is even a step closer, but Italian is mm -hmm. pretty close. And most Italians will, will tell you, I mean, they learn Latin in school. And it comes very easily to them. Mm. And so with that comes, you know, again, even speaking it, there's a lot of, for, for somebody who learns it as a second language, you think a lot more trying to make sure that you get things right besides masculine and feminine. But even, uh, for instance, when you're expressing hope or doubt, mm. there are different verb conjugations that you use in those moments. And there's actually something I've learned is that there are many Italians that don't use all of these conjugations, even though they, they should. To be grammatically correct, but that's like me when I speak English sometimes. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's actually a lot of it ties into the dialect and the connection because one thing to consider is Italy as a country, sure, it's existed, I mean, for many, many years, the space is from the Roman times before that, even, but later on. But the thing about Italy as a country, it wasn't unified until 1861. Right. Not a lot of people and know that. Not a lot of people know that. Yes, and most and most of the, I mean before it was unified, it was a collection of several different states mm. that came together ultimately through the expedition of Garibaldi to unify the country. And so the presence of the dialect is so strong. And Mussolini actually during World War II tried to introduce a wave of basically mod modernizing the language, wanting Italian to be spoken only, and there was a push to stop speaking dialects, which actually is, I think, detrimental. I think there's a beauty in the dialects. I think it's very amazing. I mean, one of, you know, Andre, who's, um, who's visiting now, he said that the way that he was able to communicate with his grandparents was solely through dialect. They actually lived in a period of time where Italian language wasn't spoken by everyone, especially people that lived in a rural place. Yeah. So the only way to have that connection was through the use of the dialect and by speaking dialect. And it, it created a, a, a stronger bond. And it was a mm. closeness that was created by using this special tongue, if you will, that was different. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think that there's absolutely a place for both. And I think it's very important. But it's it also does make it difficult as a learner of the language mm -hmm. in Italy because every region you will visit has a different dialect. So if you're in Rome, they speak a Romanesco. And if you're in Naples, mm -hmm. they speak Neapolitan. And that's um. Incredibly different from Italian. Then in Sicily, in fact, Sicilian is considered its own language. No way. So, yeah. So that's another thing Ooh. you have to contend with when you're in North Italy and all the different regions, Venetian, for example, and they are very dis distinctly different. Mm. And so, you know, it's it's pretty amazing in that respect. But mm. you know, having a uniform language certainly brings everybody together at the end. Oh, it really does, man. And <laughs> well, it seems kind of crazy now. I, I read some statistic out there i should probably back this up but i think it was that within 30 years uh, there's going to be i mean only like a couple hundred languages left or something like that but just over time i mean even you look at every country in the world is not required to but they're at such a disadvantage if they don't at least understand english speaking english writing and writing english yeah so in these in italy i can only imagine 
the value of learning uh, Sicilian in this small community, typically if you want to grow, move upwards uh, economically, like upper mobility, you kind of have to speak the, uh, what are they, what's that phrase? Uh, lingua franca, I think is the phrase. Mm -hmm. It's speaking like the language that's necessary. Right. Because in Morocco, same thing. You know, there are people, there's, there's Moroccan Arabic, right? It's called Darija. And then if you're in smaller communities, you're, you're learning Tamazigh and some of these other smaller dialects. Now, what happens though, when uh, Arabic continues to just be the predominant language, you kind of lose that. And then like you were saying with Andrea, the connection with him and his grandparents, it gets severed. So it's how, like kind of navigating that really fine line, man. I find it fascinating. And just off the bat, I did not know that Italy had, I knew they had three different dialects more or less, but you're saying dozens? Wow. There are many, absolutely. And some are similar. I can say that, that there are some that are similar. For instance, there are actually different dialects, even within, I'll use Andre again as an example. Yeah, so we, we'll get him in here soon. And uh, Andre is an excellent man um, from Italy. He's like Italian, Italian, Greek guy, met him before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, he, and he'll, he'll tell you that in, for instance, a city like Bari in Puglia, they have a, a dialect, but then you can compare that to where he is from further down in in the region of Puglia and Salento, there's mm. a Lecceze dialect and then even other ones. So, you know, that's within the same region. I mean, it's like being in the same state. And so that would be like Northern that. New Jersey speaking a different basically basically language than someone, let's say, in Southern New Jersey. Yeah. Or even a North Jersey language, a Central Jersey language and like a South oh, Jersey. Wow. wow. It could even be such as that. I mean, so, let me ask you, have you ever been down the shore? I mean, I know that's a silly question, but you have, right? Sure. Yeah. Man, sometimes when I'm there, I don't even know if people are speaking English because it gets crazy. <laughs> so, wait a second. Are, are we really, what? What word is that? And then it's just such a discord. You're right. You're right. I mean, and Jersey's not that bad. I, I did have an experience. I was down in uh, Georgia driving from Florida to go to um, a football game in Georgia. And, you know, the different states have different requirements or rules for speed limits, right? So, we were going a little bit over, just 17 which is a fair amount. And I get pulled over. I'm like, how are you know? This is fair. This happened. It's all good. And I swear to you, not even hyperbole, the officer comes to the car. I'm like, all right, let's see. Get into my Southern kind of mentality as much as I can. Roll down the window. And the words that come out of his mouth, to me, sounded like this. And I, I was like, okay, I know the protocol of this is license or registration. But what did he just say? Like a 65, like 60 something year old man. And it was so hard to communicate. So I can only imagine being the same language, but because of accents, not different words, just the pronunciation makes it so different. So like you're saying with Andrea and his grandparents and this smaller uh, communes that you were saying, oh my goodness, how, how do you, how do you kind of not reconcile the two, but how do you have a conversation that can flow without disastrous communication occurring. I mean, and then what do you teach your kids? What do you teach your kids? Exactly. I, and <laughs> what I can say is often the protocol, at least in Italy, is that the children will be taught to speak, you know, Italian, usually from the very beginning in the home. They'll obviously be, you know, instructed in the Italian language at school. Mm. And then it's all—it's on them really to pick up the dialect on their own. They'll mm -hmm. start to pick it up when they're growing up 
maybe, you know, in the preteen years or even maybe sometimes sooner, hearing people around speaking it and then their friends will start to speak it. And then it just becomes, you know, absorbed that way. So uh, it's kind of a process, but it's interesting because it also depends on the type of family we're talking about. Uh, My friend, Nicola, who lives in, in Venice, explained it to me. That's the way that they do it. And he's educated his wife is high edu- highly educated um and so that's the approach that they take because they believe it's most important that their children learn italian the proper way and can speak it with a high level of you know a high a high, a high level grammatically and it's correct and everything mm-hmm. now um other other folks i can tell you when i was in rome there were children that definitely had a very weak understanding of the italian language but they could speak the dialect perfectly fluently without problems mm. that was a parental sort of choice a decision I'm, I'm sure the parents don't really speak italian the proper italian much at home mm-hmm. so whatever exposure they're getting is in school when they're young they're not getting a lot of that yet right. so it probably takes longer to develop you know the actual national language so it's fascinating and it, it, it varies and it, it depends i mean we're fortunate in, in this in this regard that here in, in the states you know we learn English. Yep. And, you know, sure, you, you'll find that there are accents in certain areas. There are different ways English can be, I guess, spoken. Like if you're in a, you know, a ghetto, for example, mm-hmm. like there's a different way of speaking. For there's sure. a lot of slang, you know. Yep. So um, it's just the pockets you're saying. It kind of like depends the pockets that you're in. And even yeah. in some areas where like you're quote unquote less educated, there's a different uh, pattern recognition, different speech pattern, the way you're communicating. Exactly. And you'll notice that the grammar that we learn in school might not always be, you know, applied the same mm-hmm. way. Well, and it's, also, yeah, it's, it's also the language evolving, right? Like if we even look at anything that Shakespeare wrote, my goodness. I mean, if you were to speak like that today, anywhere in the U.S., someone would probably call the police on you. I mean, what are you doing? Is right, this, right. Is this person okay? <laughs> right, right. Although it's, it's very charming and it sounds nice. I don't know. I don't know about all that. <laughs> right. I mean, that could give you qu- quite a headache if you're walking around <laughs> listening oh to like that. I could imagine. No, th- th- that could really give you trouble. Uh, l- let me ask, because, I mean, the background with Italy, it's, I mean, I've been very uh, vocal about it. For me, you know, I need to visit Brazil more, but as of right now, Italy is my favorite country. Aside from the U.S., of course, as I've lived here. But just heads down, like, we can go on forever, and we may have to do another visit at some point. It's incredible, this country, culture, history, food, weather, people. I mean, amazing. It really is. I mean, and it's so big. Like Israel, I've been in Israel for a year, or I lived there for a year, and it's an incredible country. And it's just a little small, right? With Italy, you just have so much history. You're bordering so many other countries that you can visit at any time. And this isn't an ad for Italy, but if it were to be an ad, you got to go. You got to go. But man, let me me ask you, you know, as you're... How would how would Nick spend his time? Because I know when we had first met, I mean, a quick background: we had met at a youth government program in twenty six or twenty twelve. I think it's twenty twelve, right? Most likely, I think that was maybe twenty thirteen. It was twenty thirteen, perhaps. We both those. graduated high school in twenty fourteen, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so it was, was I think year. our junior year. Yeah. Yep. Twenty thirteen, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So that's how we had, that's where we had met and then, you know, got to know each other and. As time grows on, you know, you go to college, different experiences and stuff like that. 
how does someone like yourself, who's very active and involved, how do you spend not just your time to enjoy yourself, but what, how do you invest your time, right? How do you invest your time to become a better version of yourself? Whatever you realized has now worked in bringing you fulfillment and what now actually brings you that fulfillment later on. Because for me, time's become such a vital part of my life that that's something I don't want to trade in at all. And someone like yourself, who's very busy, constantly working, constantly traveling, constantly trying to support others. What do you do with your time to give you the time you need? Sure. So I I think of my, my life as a balance, essentially, of three things or among three things. Uh, mind, body, <coughs> and uh, spirit. Mm. And I believe that I should to be the best version that I can be of myself and how I can be the best uh, steward toward others in contributing and giving back uh, and, and just being a positive force in the world is to devote a third of my life or my time rather um, in my life to my mind, to my body and to my spirit. So mm. starting with the mind, you could ask what, what fulfills somebody in, 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 in a mental respect right yeah for me i think it's it's incredible i love to to read i'm an avid reader mm. so i i believe that helps to strengthen the mind for sure i believe that uh staying up to date especially with with, with within reading i mean certainly on current events there's plenty happening in the world right now and i think it's important to yeah to uh, to be well read and try to um you know understand information as it is expressed and then, then how you perceive it because there's and we'll probably get into this later but there's mm. strong debate um regarding information these days and what's good information or what's bad information yeah. and considering sources of information ways to interpret information and, and data so i believe it's it's actually it requires more more time mm. And people maybe devote to really understanding the nature of how the world sort of works uh, and, and basically understanding that we can't always know the answer mm. to everything or have the solution. There's not always an immediate answer. And this is something that I think is counterintuitive to our culture today. So I'll get back. We can get back to that a little Absolutely. bit later on. Absolutely. And yeah. just, just before we move on with that, I, I love how you make that point with what information is good information? And if you're not watching this video, it's using the quotation marks, basically, <clears throat> and seeing, yeah, because, you know, what information are you learning about that you're actually using and utilizing? And if you learn something, is it something that's going to be beneficial for a certain ideology or something else? You know, exactly. I, have, um, I have someone here I met in DC, <clears throat> great guy. I think I'm choking on water. I don't know what's going on, but. <laughs> It's okay. I mean, plus it's raining. It's, it's been a, a watery day. So, me too. Yeah, he, he had told me, you know, we're having a discussion about, uh, we're, we're looking at culture and a lot of the anthropology in Africa, right? Just for the past couple thousand years. And I was speaking with him and I said, oh, man, no, dude, a lot of anthropologists actually agree with this idea. And he goes, oh, like, where'd you learn about that? I said, oh, I, I learned this from a handful of books that I read. And he would also say, oh, who wrote those books? I said, well, a bunch of different authors. He goes, oh, it's it's probably white men who had this, uh, who had the power, who controlled everything. And to some extent, although he is correct, 
what fascinated me was the total negation of learning through study, learning through we read. And point, just because you read something and it's in a fantasy book from front to back, author published, doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. So how do we discern from the two? And what I found, just and I want to know how you you're able to kind of see through it, mm-hmm. is what's proven so valuable for myself is the conversations having with others and traveling. However, also putting a heavy emphasis on learning philosophy and really uh, epistemology and how we can actually think about thinking, right? Because it's sort of a prerequisite for anything else that comes. Uh, so I found that fascinating, man. And where do you think we're heading with that? You think it's like for you being an avid fan of reading, you mm-hmm. devote more time to learning how to learn or just try to consume the endless amounts of information that's out there? Because I don't know if there's enough time for both. <laughs> I agree. I think <laughs> there are, I mean, there are probably at this point billions of <laughs> books I mean, there's that, gotta be, man. There's gotta that be. have been written. So it's sort of like, all right, go ahead. The clock is ticking. You're born. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. Wait till you learn how to read, and then from there, it's a matter of pick the best ones you can get your hands on. I think, and how do you find which ones are again the best ones and which ones aren't? And I think it's it's more important to to read than I mean, it, it sounds very simple to read than not to read. What I mean by that is, mm. if you're not sure about what to read, just pick up something, yeah, and and go for it, and see how you, it makes you feel without looking at anything else. I think that you know. What often happens as we are learning in middle school and definitely in high school, when we read a book, we're told to read a book and we're told to write a paper on it and and use our own words and to think about it. But what often happens, most people, most students, I should say, are perhaps not confident in their abilities or just too lazy or what have you, make an excuse. They'll go immediately online They'll get a summary or they'll read something that was already written about it and they'll find a, find a way to conform it to make it their own without plagiarizing, hopefully. I'll say and, I've never done that. <clears throat> but I know many. No, I, I don't have. I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, yes, that was, that was a tough one. Yeah. But to that I mean, point, because I love how you said that uh, we weren't asked to do it. We weren't suggested. We were told to do it. Right. And right. I think. Even someone who's incredibly uneducated, let's just say, and however we measure that, if the incentive isn't clear or the value that they'll derive from an action, why in the world would they do that? And growing up, just a real quick example, because I love where you're going, so please hold on to that thread. I remember learning about geography when I think it was sixth grade. However, growing up, we didn't really have the resources, the financial resources to leave the country and go visit and travel. So when I would learn geography, for me, I thought, oh, this is so useless. I'm never leaving the country. It's not a reality for me. Like, what is the utility for me to do this? And I think that's something we struggle with a lot, even now as adults, because we have that experience, like you're saying, as students, when we're told to read, told to write a paper, some people plagiarize and copy things offline. And then what's the incentive for them to do it now? Sure, absolutely. It's, it's alarming. It is. And it, it speaks to certainly a larger problem. I think that we could really get onto a, a different topic here if we wanted to evaluate yeah. education in the way that we, we try to, you know, yeah. we try to inform students and young people in general. Yeah. 
But where I guess I was headed with that was that essentially you're instructed to, to, to read something in school and you're right. The passion perhaps for the subject matter is not there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, most people, in fact, these days, um, and I often, when I talk to different people and when I read things online about uh, the interest in reading, and when you look at the studies about people that, that answer questions about whether they read or not, many, many people do not read. They find that I think it's particularly a prob a societal problem where we have evolved, devolved, I should say. Mm, wow. Not an evolution. It's, it's a uh, devolution. Devolution. <laughs> I think we just made a word. Yeah. Maybe. I think that is a made up word, but we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, we got to put it quick. We got to add it. And what I think is happening that there's actually, there was a book uh, that was written called the dumbing down of America. Goodness. And it was about this exact topic basically. And I didn't finish reading it. I do remember I started it and then I got caught up in another life event and I couldn't yeah. finish, but I do remember taking a few things away from it. And, and, you know, the, the, the main driving force for the book was just that people are becoming more reliant upon getting information quickly through social media, through sound bites. They will look to watch, for instance, something on the news, look for the sexy headline sort of draw mm. they'll, they'll, and it'll be repeated. So you'll watch something like, um, let's take a couple of major stations that people watch like CNN or like Fox or MSNBC. And you'll keep hearing the same sort of ticker going over and over and over again. And people will latch onto that and they'll believe whatever that is, is the truth automatically, depending on the political pers persuasion. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, or they'll go on Twitter, which I think is probably one of the worst sources of oh, yeah. credible information. And they'll latch onto that, right? Because it's a soundbite. I mean, Twitter in its in its design was designed to be what 150 words or characters or less, yeah. right? So I think that these kinds of uh, that it's just people are not thinking. They mm. want everything to be delivered on like a silver platter here. Take mm. it. Don't think mm. about it. Just accept whatever this is, the truth, without actually putting thought. So I think something that we should all try to do more of, and something, again, speaking to the original point of what I try to do to feed my mind, mm -hmm. is I try to read as much as I can that's very diverse. I love to focus in on different topics. I mean, I love, because I majored in political science, I love politics. I like to still stay informed upon politics. I read a lot of political history books, for example. I haven't focused so much on current books that have been written recently. But, I mean, I, another thing I do, I love Kennedy. John F. Kennedy is my favorite yeah. president. So I collect Kennedy memorabilia. I'm reading a lot about him a lot. Um, there's a lot of even – it's amazing the, the differences in opinion you can find in the literature of a president who lived so long ago. There are many – there are fewer uh, firsthand – accounts of his life and his presidency yet you still find a, a very polarizing range of opinions about what he did and what, what he accomplished um right. as another example so again i think that it's but but back to my earlier i guess discourse i was thinking about how finding information from various sources different topics how that i think helps you become more well-rounded as an individual because mm -hmm. you shouldn't focus on i think one particular subject matter. I think you should try to be more like a Renaissance man, if that makes sense. Oof. Oh, I mean, well, one, I think there's a bias.
here if anyone's catching on to it. <laughs> um, but I'm it's true. so with you on this, man. Yeah, and I and and with that challenge, everything I think that you read. Yeah. Be be uh, a skeptical. Is it sort of being, is it being contrarian or more skeptical or kind of in the middle? No, I think it's it's having healthy skepticism. I think yeah, there's that's healthy, yeah. to be found in that. I don't think that you should be contrarian just to be contrarian. I think yeah, it's, what you're doing, yeah. it's it comes then it comes down to rhetoric and you're trying to just build and build in a right, way where right. you benefit yourself. Yeah. Right, or you're exactly you might be looking to be contrarian just for attention. Yeah, right? oh, you, yeah absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Uh, one key thing that uh, I wanted to allude to as you were speaking was, you, as you're saying, like having the information fed on a platter, I, I have two takes about this. One, well, one's kind of a separate uh, take. And I think in America or more, I think with the world now, there's a drive to be more entertained than there is to be educated. Absolutely. And I think that is where the trouble comes. Now, I mean, of course, you're finding ways that you have films, which it's crazy. Man. I would watch Star Wars or Avengers when I was younger. I, I guess not Avengers because that's pretty recent, but Star Wars. And I'd watch these movies and think, oh, wow, that's the bad guy. That's this. So simple. But when, as you get older, you see so many different kind of little uh, seeds of political kind of ideologies seeped in there, right? You have uh, the imperialist state and the people fighting in their native land and they're in the desert. And all that so it's finding a way now i think mixing the entertainment with education but now to the other point where people now sifting through the information and self-educating i lived in morocco for a year working with the peace corps and we had you know as we're working 24 7 but we do have downtime when we're in our homes and we're not engaging with the community and for me i made it a mission of mine to not use all the free time because we're the only americans in our city to simply watch videos of Netflix or YouTube and just stuff like that. I thought, you know what? I've never been a big reader and there's a lot of, I do not know. Let's dive in. In about a year, I managed to read, I think maybe 15, 20 books, which was a lot for me. That's so many. Now I come back though, I come back to the States and I, I see a lot of people who maybe want to read, want to educate themselves better, but they work, let's say a seven to five shift. And then they have three kids at home or they're in their early twenties. They can't pay rent. So how do we find a way to have people be educated when it's laborious? Educating yourself is very laborious or you can entertain them. It's visual. It's stimulating more senses and you actually receive the information in a smoother kind of way. So I think that is the big issue. I don't know how exactly we counter it because that ex exact example of the people who want to care just, how are they going to care what's happening in Italy or Ukraine or even, let's say, Saudi Arabia, any of these other countries when they don't know if they can pay rent the next week? No, and you raise a great point. And, you know, I'm not advocating for books alone, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I do think books, if you can dedicate a little bit of time each day, even if it's 20 to 30 minutes at some point and over time, you're doing, you know, you, you'll chip away at it and you'll get it, get through it. But there are podcasts, right? Yes. There are documentary films. There yeah. are, I mean, a myriad of mm. avenues that you could, you know, select to educate yourself and, yep. and ed educate yourself in a, in a very 
I suppose you could rather get good information in these ways. You're not wasting per perhaps your time on, on just uh, mindless uh, entertainment, which by the way, it's fine. totally good. I mean, yeah, yeah. Balance, right? what was my first point? I was talking about mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, body and soul, yeah. Or, uh, you said spirit? Yeah. Right. Mind, body, spirit. spirit. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the mind definitely needs a break too. I mean, oh, yep. Yep. You know, and, and another thing, um, we are on passions and hobbies. I'll get to it, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I have started taking up for a, oh, a good year and a half now, uh, acting lessons. So oh, I totally, oh, I mean, I think we've told you this back in the day. I'm like, this guy could be a movie star or something. <laughs> well, a movie star. <laughs> maybe I'm on my, on my way now, but I did start taking, uh, lessons and they're awesome. great. Awesome. And I do believe that there's totally a, an immense value in, in good entertainment and, and mm. good acting. It's mm. totally a craft. It is hundred oh, percent. It's, yeah. it's not like you wake up out of bed and you just act. I mean, you have to yeah. put the work into the craft to really master it and do a good job. So mm. Mm. I have a newfound appreciation uh, for actors. I mean, I always appreciated uh, yeah. actors, um, but I, I have to say now it's even a, on a whole, uh, another level. Uh, so oh, 100%, 100%. that being said, I do think that there's no, simple solution but i do think that it's a matter of the individual too i mean mm. some people are motivated more than others it's just a matter of of the of of just the way that of human nature some people mm. like, like to use their spare time in one way and others in another and you know it, it, there there can be some structure right we do have a school system we we do have public education we have private education we have plenty of universities and colleges so there is a to some extent, uh, you know, a way that you can try to educate, you know, your young in, in a mm. society. But then there are those that don't choose that route, which is totally fine. By, by, by the way, I do think that encouraging others that perhaps aren't, you know, interested in the college or university route, people in the trades, I do think that's also incredibly important because there are some people that are just very gifted in these areas. They're like HVAC yeah. and electric and plumbing. And I think mm. they should be encouraged too in our in our system, uh, especially in, in high school. Oof, so, yeah. I, I mean, I know that over time, a lot of these options have been cut uh, by mm. budgetary restrictions and things like that. But I don't think it's good policy. I think that that should be something that is changed going forward. Mm. I think we should mm. bring it back. Yeah. Uh, because you should be able to make, I mean, I know personally people that make incredible livings that are very intelligent people that are plumbers and electricians and work in heating and air conditioning. Mm. I mean, imagine having your own business and you are a plumber, right? Mm. Very lucrative. If you have your own business, you have to have, you know, intelligence regarding how to operate a business. And there's a lot that, you know, you would have to learn in that res respect. And if you're self-taught and you're successful, that's very impressive. And that's something that shouldn't be uh, taken away from you or you shouldn't get credit for that. So mm. Mm. I do think that uh, we, we, we have to, also give people opportunities to explore other avenues for their own personal growth and development. Right. Uh, as they say, different strokes for different folks. I love this one. And a quote that I had thought of as you were talking about how different traits, right. Is an intelligence is, I think it was by Einstein. He said, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, right. It'll believe its entire life or it'll believe it's entirely that it's, or that the fish is, unintelligent that's stupid how do we measure intelligence and man i, I really did have a wake-up call with that too 
Uh, I'm, we're both throwing a lot of stories in here, so I, I'd like to share one that when I first gone to Morocco, I was deciding to read a lot and learn a lot. And I got there, and I, at a certain point, you start learning more, and you think, oh, okay, I know some history, I know how people kind of work, some philosophy here and there. And I was like, you know what, intelligence is really just the number one thing that matters. Because if you know, then you can do, and that's what matters. And then the lady I lived with, Jamila, an amazing woman, her and her family, 56 years old, something like this. And, you know, I, I would speak with her, right? And she did not know where she was on the map, right? I would ask her, I said, Jamila, you, you know where we live, right? She goes, yeah, yeah, uh, Morocco. I said, yeah, yeah. And you know where Morocco is? She goes, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, she didn't know she was in the, a continent of Africa, which for me, I think at least the West or just some other ways of thinking, some measurements we use for intelligence and knowledge is not necessarily the same stroke for every kind of folk, right? And it taught me such a valuable lesson, man, because at the time, you know, some challenges in life were going on. And although she didn't have the same level of, let's say, maybe book intelligence, she was incredibly happy, had incredible community, well-respected. She was nurturing, she was caring, she was giving. giving. And just to your point with uh, the plumbers or any, like HVAC, I think you had mentioned, we definitely got to be very careful of how we value these things. Uh, and, and one final point, but this may crack you up. Uh, the entertainment with education aspect. I think more so now what's happening, at least in maybe popular media in the West, and I really want to hear your point on this. What would be the incentive for someone to work a job that would take them, let's say, two, four, six, eight, ten years to become, for example? Someone can take a job of becoming a, a doctor, a scientist, a fireman, um, a nurse, whatever profession, a teacher. But that takes years to do. And within society, they're usually not so respected, certain fields, and the pay isn't always there. Now, you have people who leverage social media and their goal in life, I think they did a study over 70%, is to become, like their life goal is to become an influencer an influencer, social media personality, something like that. There is an individual who she had just turned 18. And within a few weeks of turning 18, she made an OnlyFans account, which is an account that you subscribe to and different artists and a bunch of different stuff. And she made this account. And within six hours, she made over a million dollars. Now, what do you tell to someone who's working every single day, studying hard, going after a craft that they're doing all that work to make a fraction of what someone else like that would make. And they're not getting any fame, no glory. How do we convince people of that? Because I think that's what's making so much crumble, man. It's very, well, it's very concerning. I, I believe that one of the key things here, especially in the example you just gave with, you know, only fans, I think you might've left out that, uh, the means through which the money was being made had probably something to do with like nude content, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? I know that there's uh, that's you know, actually a component. Yes, the sex yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, right, and that's a huge, a huge part of it. So you have to realize, I mean, in 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 the case of that, my my argument would be that individual clearly has a morality that is such that mm. in her life she thinks that. 
there's no problem with exposing, you know, herself to mm-hmm. however many thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions, whatever. I mean, she's the girl from Dr. Phil, if you know who. She, oh, right. Yeah. Bad baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, to be fair, I actually do like a few of her songs. They're catchy. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not ashamed to say it, but continue. I don't want to throw yeah. it No, different. that's okay. Well, let's. So she's also an interesting example because she already had notoriety yeah. and an image before doing the OnlyFans thing, where that that was her her career she was already sort of defined if you will before that even happened because of her her performance on on dr phil i, mean, I, <laughs> I love how you so, said it because it, it it was kind of a performance yeah yeah it, it really i wonder if it was like kind of scripted or not but oh, if it wasn't it is it is what it is it's how she yeah. is so i think that for some people like they have to realize that um you know first of all okay Back to the original point, I think how I would talk to somebody who sees that and is like, why don't I just go ahead and do the same thing? Mm. Well, besides the fact that she already had an image and had following, people were just waiting for her to do this. There, That's a huge mm. factor in this because if you come out of nowhere, right, like you just tomorrow, you're not an unknown person. Maybe you have a thousand followers at most or something on Instagram. If you create an OnlyFans, you're not going to make a million dollars in six hours. Right. You're going to have to do that for a long time and hopefully somehow get famous or whatever and take a chance like you would as an actor or like an athlete or something. So mm. there's that part of it, which is which means it's high risk. And also the morality aspect of it. I mean, are you somebody that thinks it's OK for you to just post you know, nudity and allow anybody to access it if they want to pay? I mean, that might mean that that precludes you from getting a job like that's respectable, let's say, or, you know, could pay you a good a good wage. I mean, if I opened an OnlyFans tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that I could be hired by a reputable company or ever be a, let's say, an attorney or have a job that has, um, you know, requires you to have upstanding character, you know? Yeah. So you do give up something if you pursue that option. And I mm. think that that's something that maybe people that do that kind of thing don't realize. Unless they're, think, they're, they're thinking is that they'll make enough money, they could live on that their entire lives and retire. But uh-huh. I can tell you, I mean, I remember specific individuals that I went to high school with that have these kinds of things, that have OnlyFans. And I can tell you that they're not living the high life, I mean, mm-hmm. by what they do. And I also can tell you that they're essentially blacklisted from from jobs. Wow. I mean, yeah, because if you see there, yeah, that's true, actually. And it's a gamble. Yeah. So, that's you know. Gamble, yeah. Yeah. In fact, there's one girl I had lunch with um, about a month ago who was telling me all about it. She said, I made the biggest mistake of my life because I created this account and I didn't think anybody would find it that would be hiring. And the first thing I got called in for the interview and she said, the only reason they called me in for the interview was because they wanted to pick my brain about it. And why I thought I had the, like, I had the audacity to apply for a job like this with that kind of past well and know? she had used like the same name like that they would be able to even with a different name you can still find this stuff too oh yeah. absolutely because if, if you're obviously you need to attract attention to it right so you yeah. use like maybe an instagram and sure. maybe you'll put it in your in your bio or something like that or on twitter or something so mm-hmm. i mean people can find it i'm sure if they yeah. if they're looking and it's i know that you- yeah no, no it's, it's fascinating with that because i mean i'm thinking i mean you know everyone's entitled to do what they want for sure 
it's uh, we learned this concept in economics. It's about discount rates, right? Where if there, let's say if there's someone who's incredibly impoverished, and if they're considering, should I commit this crime? Should I not? If they don't commit their crime, or if they don't do the crime, they may starve. They may suffer to some capacity, right? So they're more inclined to do it because their discount rate is high because they don't consider the future because it doesn't exist, right? Exactly. And the same thing exactly. I, t- I take in investing in high school and I remember that learning about investing and I thought, what, what? Invest? What are you talking about? Why would I invest? Like with what? With what? This doesn't make sense. So I think maybe that goes into the psyche a little bit. It, it, is, does that resonate or not so much? I understand. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I find it so fascinating, man. But look, I, 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 I want to know, well, we're going to keep working our way through because the other ones are deep and I know that you've been, been through them. Okay. So, yeah. We talked a little bit about, you know, it's, it's remarkable how being, you can even be well-traveled, well-educated, charismatic, a future Oscar winner like Nick is right here. Uh, but on that journey, man, <laughs> I just someone who expresses himself at this point. Um, on that journey, though, I, I really like to talk in this podcast that, you know, the, the highlights are great and the lessons learned for you, man. Uh, what is a I don't even like to use the word failure as much, but some people live in that mindset, right, where you can only really like what are your conditions in order to fail? Right. And what does failing look like? So for you and your mindset, I would assume any situation that occurs, you try to derive the lesson from it. What is the positive outcome or how can you benefit from this in some capacity? For you, man, however you're comfortable sharing, what is uh, the biggest lesson you've learned from a decision or a series of events in your past and now you're like, whoa, gotta switch it up? I would say that some, I mean, something there, I've had my fair share I'll start by saying that. So when I, when I thought about this question, I really needed to sit down with it for a minute and kind of think about all of the different examples. And again, as a positive person, I always look at if you're, if you do, you know, fail, so to speak, it really just means that you have, it's another way of repositioning yourself, seeing what didn't work so that you can kind of cross it off. Like, like Edison with the light bulb. Oh, this example didn't work. So it's just one example that I need to know for the future not to do over again, right? So just knocking off on the list of tries. Um, so for me, well, I, actually, I'll think, I think of one, it kind of goes back now, but I like this one because it's taught me a lot and it actually has personal significance to how it worked out in my favor later on. So uh, the example I'm going to talk about was the one that uh, you actually know a bit about because it. Uh, in, in Rome, we had talked about it. Well, actually, I'm going to go back to Boy State. Oh, and even further. Oh, man, I know yeah. where you're going, man. That, that yeah. I still remember that. I mean, please take the stage. Take the stage. So I like this one because it 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 taught me a lot about some of the let's say less fine aspects of human nature, mm. uh, but it also taught me a lot about things I could have even adjusted or done differently to have a different result. And so with that, when Bruce and I were together at Boy State, which was what he referred to earlier, which is the, they have uh, every, every year uh, for juniors in high school throughout, in this case, state of New Jersey, they have an event where young, you know, juniors, young men in high school, it's all male get together for a week at 
university, which in this case was Ryder University. And it's basically a sort of like a civics-based exercise where there are mock elections. Um, the military is involved. They do some instruction uh, and some recruitment. And the whole idea is to take some of the you know brightest young students in the state, bring them together, have them get to know each other, and then have these again these elections and get you know it's it's a good uh, morale building type of thing. So mm-hmm. Bruce and I were placed together actually in the same Madison City. Madison City, right. The same, uh, they had cities that, that we were all put into. And so from there, you know, everybody gets to know each other. You get to know who your roommates are. You spend time having, again, elections. So you, you can start at the local level and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. So uh, I was really fortunate to have gotten to what was called uh, Boys Nation, a candidate anyway for Boys Nation. And they chose two every year. And it was kind of neat because the winners of this uh, get to go to Washington with all of the other Boys Nation senators that are elected from the other states. And oftentimes the president will, will also be there. So you'll have the opportunity to meet the president if you're lucky. Usually I think it happens, but not always. So I was just looking forward to trying to, you know, I, I loved politics ever since I was young. And I thought this would be a great way for me to you know, see how well I could do in this kind of an environment. And, and, you know, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was a, just a great way to meet people. And so long story short, uh, I was fortunate to have been selected a candidate for my mock political party. And I got down to the end uh, where w- w- I competed against uh, two others from the other mock political party. And in the final speech, uh, we were told to choose a topic, and I had, throughout the process, focused on sort of, if I remember well, the idea of New Jersey's image and focusing a lot on how I, if elected, would try to, you know, portray a more positive image of New Jersey as a state. It's often joked upon. There's all the mafia um, messaging, the political machine messaging. So. I just wanted to be a representative of New Jersey at the national level to try to change that. So I kind of campaigned on that. The other two folks that I ran against campaigned on some other things. And what ended up happening was I uh, ran up against the person who I ended up directly losing to beat me by a vote, which I found out after the fact. It was by a vote? One vote only. All right, just just for the record, I voted for you, so please don't believe me. <laughs> well, thanks. I voted for you. I voted for you. I remember. I remember because I'm like, what? Dang. So yeah, uh, I lost by a vote. The person that I lost to fabricated a story. Yeah, uh, he had a uh, a gay brother. He's from my hometown uh, too, by the way. That's how how I know this. Oh, my brother was true. best friends with his brother, and when he told that story, I said, "What? That is not true." It was a total, but continue. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's crazy. I didn't even know that he was. Oh, I didn't know that? No, dude. Yeah, because no, he's from my hometown. And my brother, uh, yeah, my brother was really good friends with his brother at the time. They would hang out and because it was only a two year age difference. Right? I think, okay. yeah, two year age difference. So, yeah, wow. I was just as shocked as you were. I mean, maybe not just as much, but yes, I was shocked. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. So, I mean, as Bruce mentions, you know, this is, this isn't true. He didn't have this uh, brother and he tried to use that as 
really a rallying point around LGBTQ uh, equality. And by the way, it's something I wholeheartedly support. And I, mm-hmm. I think would have been, had I known that he was going to do something like this, I mean, I certainly would have let somebody know that this was what his plans were because it's just it's wrong to you know to just take an issue that you feel like you can use to pull at the heartstrings of everybody and then mm-hmm. turn around and it's all a lie it's not personal to you so if you wanted to talk about it that's fine but at the same time don't use that as an example so i mm-hmm. found out about this i was i was heartbroken about it because i was you know right there i was so close and mm-hmm. lost by a vote but so why i would deem it a failure i do think that during that Besides the fact that I lost, which technically is the failure, mm-hmm. what I realized in the process was I lost out on a lot of the more meaningful relationships that I could have built in a stronger way, I think. Hmm. And I, I don't think I've ever told this to Bruce, but I feel like in the process of me always running for another election and I kind of lost touch with everybody in my city. I mean, I'm very glad that Bruce and I stayed in touch, but there were other guys that I really enjoyed their, their company and I enjoyed making friends with them. And I feel like in, in the process that, you know, I, I kind of distanced myself because I was Mm. always just hyper-focused on what the next step was going to be. And I didn't just live in the moment. And that was something I definitely look back on and think that could have been better had I lived in the moment more and been more present. So Mm. with that though, the the positive in, in the whole situation was I used that experience when I applied to college in my uh, essay to, you know, uh, my application essay. And I think it made a difference probably in allowing me to become, you know, admitted to the, to the school. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm very fortunate that I had something like that as a transformative experience to, uh, to write about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh. I wrote about how, what, what I learned from it too, was that, and if I remember well, I created a sort of a football analogy with it where I said, even if you're hit late out of bounds, right? So that's a penalty, 15 yards, the most you can get. And it's oh, you mean, like you're hit, like you're already out of bounds and someone hits you. Okay. And somebody hits you, right? Oh, okay, okay. I thought you meant oh, late yeah. in the game. Yeah. Right, okay. yeah. So in the middle of the game or whatever. And I, I and it made the analogy that even if you're hit out of bounds um, and it's illegal, how you respond, do you stand up and, and take it in stride and keep moving forward? Or do you react and do you you know get in that person's face and get angry about it and that shows sort of your character i mean what kind Mm. of character do you have and i i am the type of person that doesn't stand up and get in that person's face they made the mistake not me they're going to get penalized for it in this case although the person who committed the penalty didn't get penalized (laughs) which also is reality of life yeah um Somehow or another, I do believe in karma, and I do think things level out somehow. And so it wasn't the most serious sort of offense you could ever commit, right? But we're not talking about life and death. No, no, man. I mean, but beautiful. When you lie about something major like that, and there are consequences, I do think eventually something will, you know, I think everybody gets a wake-up call at some point in life. Eventually, everybody gets hit laid out of bounds at some point. That's going to be like a trademark. Eventually, everyone gets hit late. (laughs) well first i I love you i love that story i love that you're able to embrace that because that was tough man i mean i remember i even ran for something just we all ran for some position i think let's say the next one i thought ah dang that's uh so then as you're making your way up and i'm like dude this guy's killing it he's like to the state he's ambitious and yeah i mean that's tough i mean 
one thing that I've really learned is nothing, nothing, nothing's free, but also you don't really get away with anything, right? And you're always building habits, right? If you get rewarded for bad behavior, what are the chances you're going to change that behavior to do the opposite? No, you're not. So when you're doing something that's unethical, however you want to say that, even if it's normal, uh, I respect you for just standing your ground, being straightforward. And yeah, man, I mean, that's, that was a powerful experience. That was a powerful experience, man. Um, that's cool that you took that away. I'm very happy for that. Thanks, man. Yeah. And uh, as I said, I mean, look at you now, look at you now, you have this habit. It's not in conflict with your identity, you know, and it's, you're building the real authentic Nick who lives in alignment with his values. Like his actions are in alignment with his values. Yeah. Whereas I, person, I don't want to bash him, I'm like, whatever it is. But point being is if you're willing to cross your boundaries to do the little things, what about the big things? That's the key. That's, That's the, key. the key. That's gotta be the key. It's what it's how you really behave does. when nobody's watching. Oh, another thing, another thing that um, from what I'm seeing, I, I believe that you, you need 50 signatures to run for something, right? Uh, something, yeah, like that. A lot of signatures, yeah. Okay, I mean, maybe, uh, to be fair, like, no one there was perfectly ethical and, you know, let he who's without sin cast the first stone and all this stuff. But I'm almost positive he only had, I think, 43 signatures and he made up the last seven. I'm almost positive. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, doggy dog world, just, you know, tough, man, tough. Um, but beautiful, look, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I want to know, Learn this experience. Um, a little question I'd like to have here is if you were to have coffee or tea with a historical figure, um, I'm sure probably at the time, Obama was president, right? In 20, yeah, of course, what am I thinking? He was president, so that would have been incredible, but someone else, a historical figure. Um, I'm assuming you're, you may say someone from Italy, but um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Although Italy, you guys have a bunch of great people, so. This who, is who do you have coffee with? I have two in mind. And, um, and what would you talk about or want to know about? Yeah. So who are the two? Yeah. You want to hear both? Okay. So yeah. I'll do – this actually works. One is an American. One is an Italian. Ah, so. there you go. Just got to get a Polish, a, a Polish person in there. Yeah, then, then we're, we're, all, we're full circle. I can think of a Polish one too, but um, I'll stick I'll, with these two for now. So the, the American – uh, and, and you could probably already guess based oh, on what I it would be JFK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what we would talk about would, without question, be his thinking and his process behind making some of the decisions he made during the Cold War, because it's not well known by, I think, as many people as it should be. But there, we were like this close to going into full out nuclear war with Russia. And Kennedy acted alone in so exhorting hard. basically the last diplomatic option that was possible because all of his advisors, all the generals wanted him to, to press the button essentially and ignite the war. But Kennedy waited and he played it just right. And it was incredibly risky. But thanks to him, we didn't have, you know, basically World War Three or a nuclear war of some kind. So. That I, I would absolutely be. I would want to know what it what it was inside of him that made him make that kind of decision and how he he got to that point. So mm -hmm. that would be certainly the conversation. And then the other person, the Italian, 
would be none other, and it would be an espresso, by the way, because we're in Italy. Uh, <laughs> it would be none other than Michelangelo, the Oof. great. And my goodness, what would I talk about with him? I mean, I would have to know where he somehow derives his genius. I would have to ask him about how he visualizes uh, these amazing, I mean, just, I mean, besides the David, just his sculptures are just un uncanny so how i would want to know about his creative process i would ask him all like all i could possibly ask him about that and how he would be able to see within the marble you know these creations he has a quote about that something like uh, i think it's i see the angel in the marble and i set her free or i set him free oh incredible oh man so like i wow. want to know all about that uh so that that would be model. That's deep, man. That is so deep. Yeah, he. Wow. That is I deep. Mean, that is a deep quote. Yeah, I mean, because how do you sculpt something so magnificent and just beautiful? And I mean, what's crazy as well is what I love about sculpting, even with regards to Michelangelo, is it's a, a block of what's the material? Um, cement, I guess. I don't know what. You, oh, they use marble. They use marble. Oh, it's in marble. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, and how just from something so blank, they can create something, right? Now, I think that's such a great metaphor for just people in general, right? Or even a canvas, something like that. That It's like the whole concept of tabula rasa, right? Like the blank uh, blank uh, slate. And how can we craft ourselves to a similar extent? How can we work diligently on ourselves to create a masterpiece? Because it's like you're saying, it's setting the angel free. It's setting the Nick free, setting the Bruce free setting the person inside that maybe they have the marble, but there's been so much mud and there's been so much dirt. So now that's who they've identified with. So I, I find that a beautiful, I'm going to use that. I'm so going to use that, man. That is yeah. Cool. You have I'm to be exact. I, I don't I'll get it exactly. Yeah. I usually at the end, I put the quotes and recommendations and some perfect. notes. That, that'll be, that'll be perfect to say with, uh, let's keep moving along. Yeah. Because um, okay. I mean, we're just spitballing. Definitely, I'm someone who's big in this section we're doing is like with books, movies, and podcasts. I've dove heavily into the book world. When I'm out reading a book, I try to do a podcast or an audible, so just the audio version of a book. And I like to ask my guests, what is either a movie, book, uh, or podcast that you recommend? Three of one, one of each, two of one, one of the other, as you like to go, full soon. Okay. So in terms of I'll do one of each. Okay. It's nice. it's pretty pretty easy. The book that I would recommend of many. I'm gonna go in a different direction. <laughs> I'm gonna go in, in a different direction. I, I actually had I had three in mind of each. Okay. Three for three books, three movies, three podcasts, but for sake of time, I'll go into uh the book, and this is gonna get a little bit uh, philosophical or could, but here we are with the book by Paolo Coelho, who I believe is Brazilian, a man after your own heart, The Alchemist. Oof. One of my favorite books of all time. Absolutely. And just for those out there that haven't read it without getting into all the details, I certainly don't want to spoil anything. It is a mystical uh, journey of a, of a of a young boy and it really what it gets at is the heart of basically 
your journey into discovering yourself or oneself and the process in doing that and what, you know, goes into that. And there's so many great jewels of just inspiration and, and amazing quotes and things of that, of that nature in this book. And it doesn't take very long to read. It's rather short and I highly, highly recommend it, but I actually recommend all of Coilo's books. I mean, he's one of my absolute favorite authors. Um, I think he's just fantastic. So yeah. highly recommend that book. Remarkable book. I read that before I moved to Morocco and it was super helpful. And you know, there's this like the part about the shepherd boy, right? Yeah. Uh, it was cool. Cause at one point I was, we were on one of the farms that we, that the family had, and I was literally herding sheep. I thought, what? This is <laughs> fiction. This is fiction. Life imitating art, as they say. You lived it. Powerful book, man. Powerful. Book. Really powerful. Yeah. Book. It is powerful. Oh, it is. Definitely recommend it. Uh, great recommendation. Movie. What do you got? Okay. So in terms of movies, I, I wanted to hit on a few, but okay. since I want to keep this again to, to, for sake of, of time, mm-hmm. I will focus on my absolute favorite movie, hands down, all time, which oh, I go. know. That's that a big claim, man. I don't know most claim. people have a favorite movie. That's a big claim. First of all, before I tell you the name of it, I want to point out that it is one of the few movies that is in the National Archives um, in terms of historically. Oh, I, I think I know which movie. I already movies. know I think I already know it. Yeah, and uh, it top it covers so many topics. I'm gonna actually tell you some of the keys that I wrote down that that the takeaways yeah, that I love from this movie. But it is none other than the Shawshank Redemption. Oh Jesus, that's not where I was going. But no, okay. Beautiful. I actually, for some reason, because you said it was the National uh, National Archives, mm-hmm. I thought because of the journey he goes on, I thought it was gonna be Forrest Gump. Oh well, that was also. One of the one of the few I was going to. One mention. of the few, yeah. I mean, yeah. primarily because of the archiving. That's why I had thought. Um, yeah. Okay, please, man. Shawshank Redemption. But, yeah. A couple of key points about this movie that I think are worth highlighting. Why I love it. It goes into the concept of life is not always fair. Clearly, an innocent man is sentenced to life in prison, imprisonment, and corruption is a fact of life. Right. Where there is a will, there is a way. Andy, the main character, tunnels his way out after repetitively using a rock hammer. Persistence and perseverance. It took Andy nearly 20 years to escape. Writing one letter a week for six years got him funding for the prison library. Taking the high ground, morally speaking. Andy never complained about the abuse he took and in doing so demonstrated an unusual strength of character. Sometimes the simplest solutions are the best. Covering the tunnel hole with posters of Rita Hayworth and later Raquel Welch prevented his escape from being uncovered. Sometimes you must think outside the box to solve a problem. The fictitious person Andy created on paper allowed him to abscond with the warden's ill-gotten gains, which was the 19 years of back pay in the movie. Mm-hmm. In helping others, you often help and feel better about yourself. He helped many people, prison guards, the warden, prison mates, with no expected res- reciprocation. He earned friendship, protection, trust, and respect in return. Mm. Being respectful earns you respect. Upon their meeting, Andy shows his respect to Red by calling him Sir and Mr., which inevitably created a favorable first impression. Another one, which I mentioned earlier with Karma. What comes around goes around. 
Inevitably, the warden and the excessively abusive prison guard fall from their positions of power. And lastly, but certainly not least, lifelong friendships. Nothing can truly replace a good friend who will be with you through thick and thin. Oof, man, bro. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, You're two for I two. Mean, right you two, you two. see all of that in that movie. It's just... No, it's like, but, I mean, do you ever rewatch these movies? Because for sometimes, you know, watching a movie, let's say when you're, I mean, watching a movie at five is pretty tough, but watching it at 10, 15, 20, 25, do you ever rewatch to see if oh, yeah. this? Or? Absolutely. Especially with Shawshank. I've watched that movie probably 10 times or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. And every time something different. You pick up something different. I mean, it yeah, has some parts too. And, yeah. You know, you, you do. And as you do age, you know, and as you have life experience, I think that's inevitable. You're going to have changes in how you perceive things. So mm. yeah. that's good. It's all oh, good. Beautiful, man. Yeah, that's that's a phenomenal. You know, it's actually ranked the highest on IMDb. I do remember that because I remember yeah. looking up like out of curiosity. I think like the Godfather is up there. Yeah. But it's, this for me, I mean – I understand why it certainly would be, but for me, I didn't think of the, I didn't just go online and for, for yeah. the purposes of this podcast, look right. up the best movie <laughs> or something. I mean, this movie has always had such an impression, made such an impression on me from the first time mm-hmm. that I saw it. So I could have gone a lot of directions. I like the other, a couple other movies. If, I'm not going to mention all that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I love the movie that Schindler's list. Oh, that um, that's that self-explanatory. Movie. Damn. The movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. I haven't another... seen this, but I need to see it. Yep. Okay, so let me make that one a, a, a movie that you should see. It's incredibly sad, but mm. absolutely magnificent film. The Tom most, Hanks, yeah. I think, won an Oscar for it. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got to add that. Um, but with Schindler's List, I mean, just the, uh, there's a scene where, I mean, I won't ruin it, but there's a scene where a significant character cries significantly, and they think, like, Oh, but could I have done like something different? I don't want to ruin it. Um, but I mean, really, you got to watch it. I mean, that just like, at my heart, I was like, wow. I mean, yeah. you can do so much and still feel like you didn't do enough. Absolutely. And then the weight of regret, too. Oof. And I love that, too, for the fact that it, it, what I wanted to do when I was bringing up, I mean, all the thought process behind these movies that I mentioned. You know, it's just I like I like to I wanted to highlight for your viewership yeah. a few different movies that the Shawshank does cover a lot of things, of course, about life, which I thought was important to highlight Schindler's List as a life lessons movie, but also obviously about the Holocaust. And I think everybody needs to learn about that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's essential. Yeah. And I like Philadelphia because of the fact that it focuses on another movement in terms of like LGBTQ equality that I don't think is represented enough. And I think that that movie, especially for when it was created in the nineties, early nineties, uh, was just astounding. I mean, it brought such attention to like HIV and AIDS. And so, mm. you know, I like to pick movies that are just more than just an entertaining because sure there's, there's tons and tons of entertaining movies, but you know, I think the movies that t- tend to win, the, the, the most prestigious awards are the ones that actually have a strong purpose and convey mm-hmm. meaning, just like the books. Yeah. You know, I mean, goodness, there's just so many. So, there's so many, man. There's so but many. lastly, yeah. podcast. Yes. Uh, uh, the podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, this one you're never, you've never heard of. I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, okay. It's I mean, called Spiritual Unfoldment. 
with John Butler. Spiritual unfoldment, like mm-hmm. U-N-F-O-L-D-M-E-N-T? Yes. Okay. And so actually, it's more of a YouTube series than it is, I guess, technically a podcast. But the way that I watch it, it they, 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 they drop all the time the videos. I, I kind of consider it more like a podcast. Um, and so essentially what, it's, what, it's, what it discusses, there's this man, John Butler. He's an elderly man. He lives in England. He has a very unique voice, which I love. Uh, and he, he talks about his journey in meditation. So he's very, very interesting person, had a very interesting life. Uh, he tries to impart knowledge uh, that he's learned just from living and experience on, onto others. Mm-hmm. And I just think you'll find it fascinating. It's also helpful, I will, I will add, if you're tired and you need something to help you sleep, his voice is very relaxing. Mm. So I, when I'm awake during the day, I listen to it for the message. Sometimes when I'm falling asleep, I'll rewatch it or not watch it really. I'll re-listen to it. Listen to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't need to physically watch the tapes. He has, you know, his, his voice is enough. So, okay. So it's, is, is it, is it animated or it's like, no, no, it's uh, typically the, uh, the, they they create videos and they actually do have separate podcast videos that don't have any vi- visual at all. Yeah. But of the ones that actually show him, he'll usually be sitting down and he'll be asked a question by somebody else and there'll be a back and forth and he just talks for a long time usually. And mm-hmm. he has very interesting ways of viewing the world, answering questions. I mean, if you ask him a, a simple question is like, why is the sky blue? He will. Great question, by the question. way. Great yeah. Question. I, I get a lot of, I get a lot of flack from my family because I say, how do we know the sky is blue? They give me so much flack. So <laughs> I, like that, I like that this guy is at least entertaining the thought. Yeah. It's amazing the way he just answers questions. I mean, Sometimes you, you're almost lost because you just don't understand how he got from here to here. And then he brings it all the way around. And you're like, oh. Yep. He takes on the kind of journey just with that storytelling that, of what he's doing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So uh, the mind unfoldment. Spiritual, Spiritual unfoldment. unfoldment. Okay, okay. That, I mean, I haven't heard of this. Um, it, to me, it seems it would be a little like the school of life, if you've seen that on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, it's like kind of similar. They touch on like philosophical topics, but uh, the guy he has a British accent, and he kind of goes through it a little similar. But I, they don't get as deep. It's more of reviewing concepts. So I will personally definitely check this out. Excited. Cool. Now to continue on because I know we can go for hours, bro. And in Italy, we were talking for. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, the food was so good. I was like, ah, I, I can't move. This is just too much. This is too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been looking for spots in DC, man. Uh, found a couple, just not the same. Not the same. You you can never get the same goods as you do in Italy. No, unfortunately. Man, just, just I mean, okay. okay, that's a whole other. Th- okay, so what's next, man? What's what's next for Nick Di Marie? What's what's going on in his life? What's uh, the next week, month, year, life looking like? Well, I have a wonderful vacation planned uh, in April. I'll be going to the Dominican Republic. Ooh. So it'll be my first time. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Going with a, a colleague from work and a friend. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, after that, I will also be doing some traveling. I'll be back in Italy in the summer. Mm-hmm. I already have a flight picked out in July. And other than that, in terms of work, I'll you know I I'm still um, man. I didn't mention this earlier, but mm-hmm. still managing the program for the homeless. Uh, the five million dollar grant from federal government. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to be done. It's going to get busy pretty soon. So I'll be working on that. 
I also will continue to, um, I, I didn't finish my other thread, but to briefly go over sure. my body spirit, yeah. I'll be continuing to work out, which I always do. Right, yeah. uh, I mean, that's kind of, remember we ran into each other in, on Muscle Beach, California. That's right. So the other one that your, your, your listeners might find interesting, I used to be, and now retired, but I used to be an IFBB professional bodybuilder. I have since retired. So that's a chapter closed, but I still love to stay in shape and I still model. So I know Bruce is probably going to ask me about where others can find me. So my Instagram will see all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to add that stuff on the bottom too. Uh, literally, that's actually the next, uh, the next prop. Uh, I want me also, I think wise man, yeah, like keep it up and see where things go. And yeah, that's I like think it's such a great outlet. I mean, you know, there's many ways to look at this. To keep it super short is, I like to take the simple and kind of make it not complicated, but a little abstract and challenge it. And really, isn't everyone an actor? Just sometimes we're not aware that we're acting, right? Like there's always a role. And one of my things I do with my coaching is the importance of shedding your identity when it no longer serves you, right? A great example is, you know, if you have an iPhone or a smartphone, we update that phone probably every month, every two weeks. My question to most people would be, when's the last time you up, you updated your identity? You're not the same person you were 10 years ago, yet we live in that frame, and then the circumstances also change, and we never get there. So same thing with acting. I think a lot, like every, everybody's acting. It's just when do we get to the point where we're aware of it? And we're oh, absolutely. Bruce, I think about this all the time. I, I think of myself often as I look at it this way. I pretend most of my day as if I am sort of floating above myself, if this makes sense. Wow. It's kind of strange, That's cool. but, That's and cool. I like to look at myself and look down and, and think about it as if I was an observer and my life is a movie. How am I interacting with the people around me? Would I, would I clap? Would I be disgusted? Would I, whatever, right? Try to objectify it. But within that as well, I also like the ability to think about, okay, so in this moment, I'm going to present this. When do I need to change? You know, and then with different folks, you know, again, you have to present in different, in different ways. And so taking acting classes have helped me in, in such a major way with this because really what my acting teacher often emphasizes too is it's just the – he has a great quote, and I'm, I'm going to screw it up, but it has something to do with taking like reality and just recreating it in a temporary sort of situation. So, so as to say that you want to just replicate what's already, what already happens in real life, but like sort of like on cue, that's what it comes mm -hmm. down to. Mm -hmm. And you're not being any, anybody else. You're not being a different person, but what you are doing is if, if something is occurring, right? Like if the, if the dialogue shows that people should be quarreling or people should be happy, you're just going to act that way. Like, and when I say act, like you're going to be that. You're going to behave. Could we say that? You're going to behave. Behave yeah. is a good, a good word. I mean, yeah. what do you do when you argue? Well, people are going to maybe get loud or maybe they're going to, some people will shut down. You have to just do what you would do authentically. It's an authentic portrayal of yourself, which actually leads to the idea of controlling your emotions. When you can control your emotions, you almost become essentially an actor. If you can stop yourself in a moment from acting out, for instance, if you're angry and you can tr 
channel that and not act out, what are you doing? You're actually acting. As long as it's healthy, right? You don't want to hold, I'm not telling somebody to hold back and hold it in. But if you, if your natural inclination as a violent type of character is to want to lash out and yell, if you can reserve that and channel that energy because it's energy and put it into something else, right? That's a way to re reorient and to, yeah, to, uh, to behave differently. I mean, I can get into this. Uh, I I had never thought about that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being able to switch from one to the next. And I mean, being so weird. Wow, man. Wow. That's powerful. Man. And I, I can see how acting can definitely help. I mean, it's, there's such a, an identity within each of us. You know, I, I always uh, say when I'm working with people is the strongest need in the human personality is to remain consistent with how we identify ourselves. You know, someone challenges your identity, your amygdala literally lights up saying fight or flight. Am I in danger? Am I, should I stay? What should I do? Now, once you get, I mean, this is not even super meta, but if you're able to be aware of those emotions and learn how to behave and adjust in certain settings, oh man, goodness man, that is so powerful. Absolutely. That is very powerful. The best, the best of the best can do this, right? That's very true. I mean, as time will Or the best of the worst. Oof. I mean, sometimes the best actors, we can get all the way. But yeah, sometimes the best of the worst. That's true too. Where and to find just, you? While, while I have a moment, please. The best of the worst right now, Vladimir Putin. Just got to throw that the out. The worst there. actor you said? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yes. As, a, as an actor, he, he's definitely the worst. I mean, I definitely, like, you know, you get so disconnected from these things and we won't go so far in. I just at this one key point. Um, I just saw something so disturbing where, uh, you know, we all, we're all seeing the footage and all these things. And then there was just one point where it was a man who was on his knees eyes down, like head down, crying, covering his eyes. And the translation said that there was a bag, like a sheet right in front of him with a body underneath. And that was his mother. And like, it's so, when you're disconnected, even when you see things like, oh, that's so tough, so tough. And what I think really creates so much empathy and the ability to connect, and I've only learned this about two months ago, where really this is such a shift, is instead of saying like, oh, poor lady, just envision if that was someone that you actually knew in that position and just switch the role. Dude, I mean, yeah, I, like this guy's the worst actor. He's definitely, absolutely. he's definitely, yeah, it's, it's not good at all. Man, we like to end with some gratitude, you know, um, for me, I'd say more, just thank you for coming on. Oh, <laughs> we always have incredible conversations. Oh, I guess not always, but we've had a handful. I mean, they've never been bad, just more in depth like this. I mean, Italy, just talking it's incredible phenomenal so i appreciate you for that your insight vulnerability with your your boy state story which dude since that day man i mean i, I remember you tearing up and i thought damn this is tough man this is tough because especially from my understanding at the moment you were doing it ethically and the right way and that also taught me a lesson where i thought wow man sometimes you can really fake your way to the top right it's brutal it's brutal, but you took the high road and you built great habits. So right it's on. true. And, and it led me again. I, I think it played a role in my admittance to school. And so for me, that was, that's more valuable than anything else. I mean, I decided no, um, Nick went to UPenn. Just want to, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great school. Let's just come on. Yeah, it's all good. Worked hard. So, <laughs> yeah. 
it's better if someone else says it for you, you know? I'm not out there. As, you know, <laughs> I know you didn't say before the thing. I'm like, ah, if I get another chance, I'm going to hype them up. <laughs> hey, well, you went to UT, and that's oh, where my man. goes. And that's true, man. I, love UT. I think UT is an awesome school. It's fantastic, yeah. great place to be. Definitely, he had a lot more fun in that great sunny weather than I did. Oh man, I'll tell you this. That it, that's true. Man. Look, uh, <laughs> learned learned as best as I could. That place, I, I learned more out of school than in school. Unfortunately, um, not unfortunately, but yeah, it's. It happens. Different, I, strokes, I understand. different strokes. Different strokes. I certainly learned a lot more outside of school, probably too. Then. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, for, that for sure. And the last thing we like to leave on, man, is the nugget of wisdom to elevate like Zeus. And the basis for this podcast, I created the name Zeus with Bruce. Really, I'm going to give you a fancy explanation, but the core of it was that Bruce or Zeus rhymed with Bruce. So I just wanted something that flowed. Although the story of Zeus is actually quite incredible. I mean, it's mythology. I, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's basically that his father was threatened by him. So Cronus tried to eat Zeus and his siblings. But then Zeus's mother hid uh, Zeus. So then Kronos ate Zeus, but really ate a rock. And then Zeus was banished, more or less, to live with the everyday common people. So someone with so much potential lived a life that was so different and contrary to what he was accustomed to or what he was supposed to live. And his journey is going from a place of ignorance and suffering and just not up to his full potential to working his way up, going through obstacles and becoming so i find that analogous now because so many people that i'm with and just throughout my travels are really missing purpose or missing a strategy or missing just mindset really um so that's why we have this little nugget of wisdom that throughout the conversation what would you want to leave one powerful nugget of wisdom that someone else can implement to elevate like the greek god Zeus? <laughs> I, I, you know, the best thing I can think of is to live like, you know, live out the golden rule in your life, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And really, when I say that, internalize it when you, when you do it. I mean, don't just say it, but actually understand what it means to do that and actually go ahead and do it and do it when nobody's watching. Mm. That's what's important. You know, what you do for others and how you truly you perform and it comes through service. And I think being self-sacrificing, that's my, my nugget. I think that that, if everybody treated others the way that they wanted to be treated, all the problems in the world essentially would be non-existent. So mm. let's all just try to be the best versions of ourselves that we can so that we can try to make a difference because one person can make a difference and everyone should try. I believe that. Mm. Advice that's been spoken throughout the ages, yet we too often forget. But we'll leave it at that. Beautiful, man. I, I love that. I, I really love that. Well, that's all we got. Thank you, Mr. Nick DeMarie. Thank you, Bruce. for listening. And until next time, Zeus with Bruce. Peace out. Peace.